So there's something that we brought this up uh, many times, and I we never I never really did the proper research, and it actually came up yesterday. People are starting, believe it or not, to ask about Yom Kippur. We're going to have to. How's Yom Kippur going to work this year? Are we canceling Yom Kippur? Um, um, is should we do that? What are the rabbis going to do? So uh, so I decided to do a little research over the last few days, and and. Um, First of all, about fasting, how it works in pandemics. As we know, we're in currently in Ramadan, I believe. Currently in Ramadan, or starting soon. Um, so there's actually, I don't know if there's re real research yet, but the question becomes, um, can one fast? Is it safe, or should one fast, during a pandemic um, such as this? And is there going to be a uh, sort of a, or this year, cancellation of Yom Kippur? And since we'll probably be in our houses, homes anyway, and we don't have to pay for seats, you don't have to fight with the person next door, you know, next to you about the best seat in the house. So, um, so I figured I'll discuss a little, and, and obviously it's based on this fascinating story, which we discussed in the past, but I, want, I did a lot more research, and it's questionable, um, as many stories that we have, um, whether it actually even occurred historically. So I did, so I'm going to, first discuss some of the history about this famous story that took place in 1878 during the cholera um, epidemic, or pandemic actually, it was in multiple countries internationally at the time with Rabbi Sral Salanter. So first of all, just to understand who this Rabbi Salanter was, he was the um, founder of the Muslim movement, and by the way there are, there are um, already contemporary uh, response. I'm not discussing Yom Kippur yet, I haven't seen, but generally about fasting, because as we know, the beginning of this, of the, of this outbreak, the COVID-19 outbreak was Purim. The day before Purim, um, the holiday of Purim, is Tainus Esther. It's the fast of Esther. So a question was asked, seemingly at the time, should, should people be fasting um, the fast of Esther? So we're going to look at that a little, but I don't know, I hope to get to everything today, but first to discuss a little history. So this, uh, this person in, um, in 1848, there was a cholera um, epidemic. It was, I think it started in 1847, but there was three outbreaks at various times um, in England at the time, um, across Eastern Europe, um, and literally thousands upon thousands of people were dying, um, maybe even millions, I remember exact numbers, but there was a, um, in Vilna at the time, there was someone named Yisrael Salanter. He was, um, his actual name was Yisrael uh, Wolf Lipkin. He was called Salanter because he studied um, in Salant for a long time under someone named Joseph Zundel of Salant. And uh, long story short, he was born in 1809, he died in 1883. Um, he lived in Vilna at the time that this pandemic was taking place, and I'll read you a little bit about it. But he was known as the father of the Musser movement. Um, I don't know, as, Ron, do you have a good translation for Musser? Can anyone translate Musser? You're, you're muted, Ron. You need to unmute yourself. That's today. That's a like a that's a dirty word. Self-help. So, um, and he sort of he started a movement where ethics was key, 
actually to Judaism as opposed to um, maybe focusing and that he didn't focus less on rituals but he felt like um, I guess what Ron's saying it's self-improvement working on one's character traits and um, and uh, and their ethics between man and man as opposed to between man and God is, uh, is almost equally as important as um, the rituals that we do on a daily basis in Judaism and he founded this movement at the time which um, became it's still around exists today um, someone actually in, as we know Rabbi Wolby in town the director of Torch his grandfather was was known as a big a, a what we call a mus uh, a Musser person, a Musser person, someone who, again, who gives, who addresses these issues of character traits. And if you're interested, or it will be actually has classes weekly on improving your character traits that you can join um, currently online. So anyway, so that's that's more or less the story. I mean, f fascinating life. He was just um, an amazing man in very in a lot of ways. Um, we're not going to get into um, many of the stories, but uh, there's unbelievable stories about him. One story just to show you who this man was. Um, in, on working on his character traits, they always tell the story that I actually heard from Rabbi Lipsky, where he once, he, the first time he was in France or something, he was, he had, in, in Europe they didn't have peaches. So this rabbi, he had, someone brought him a peach for the first time in his life, and he, it says he took, a, the story goes, he took a bite out of the peach, and he put it down. He said he said he never experienced such pleasure in his life. He doesn't want it to corrupt him. The pleasure of eating a peach was just too much for him. Ron doesn't like the story, but, uh, <laughs> but this is just this is to show you who the man was. So uh, anyway, so this so this is a there's a five volume work that I just borrowed. It's the only edition available in Houston. It's called Tnua Tamusar, written in Hebrew, and uh, in this. Uh, the first volume, more or less, is about the life of Tumat um, Musar means it's about the Musar movement and the different personalities. And the first volume, more or less, discusses the life story of Rabbi Israel of Salant, this rabbi. It talks about him during the, in 1848, just to put it in perspective, when this cholera epidemic uh, broke out, he was all of 37 years old. Um, of Salant, and uh, he wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't have a position as a rabbi. That was part of his whole uh, thing was he didn't he wasn't he didn't view himself as a great person that was part of his character traits very humble um, he would teach but but not in any official position didn't have yeshiva at the time later on he did open yeshiva when he was kicked out of Vilna we'll talk about that soon but this is so this takes place in Vilna again the year 1848 um, so just to give you a context here it begins the name of this chapter is chapter 11 in this in this volume just about his life um, so I'm, um, I'll read it in the Hebrew translate, just will be easier instead of paraphrasing it. So he says at the time, the Vilna, and this is again 1848, this uh, pandemic called cholera broke out. Cholera? How do you pronounce it? Cholera? Cholera. Okay. Um, it's interesting, and in the words in Hebrew, um, to spell out cholera, it's cholera, which means bad illness. So uh, I don't know if that's the root of the word cholera, but but uh, in Hebrew that's how it's spelled out, cholera. Um, so he says, "Hapila chalalim rabbi." Many um, there were many people dying, kim um, kubal, and there was nothing. Ain pulat azara v'tipul becholim mitkidim sharabani mikdoli torah. There was no one in the Jewish community really involved in trying to help these people. Um, and he goes on to say, 
if he viewed this as a time where it's an obligation of saving lives and to do kindness with other human beings that uh, is obligatory on any Jew to, to help out at the time. And uh, specifically, he felt like the, the Torah-observant Jews have to be helping out in this pandemic. And um, goes on to say that he formed, so I'm going to try to, I don't want to waste too much time on the history here, but he goes on to say that he got together hundreds of volunteers um, to help out with, uh, with the pandemic at the time. He says he, he um, got together all these young people who were observant Jews. We see the Ben Toranim, and he, they actually made, uh, they organized uh, shifts where they would um, switch off in their shifts, helping people, um, whatever they needed with food, um, even though there was much danger involved, such as today, in helping these people during the pandemic, um, he felt like this is important. Picker, and mainly he would come around, the rabbi, after organizing all the help, he would come around on Erev Shabbos and on Shabbos, he says, um, in, because he was concerned, again, this is prior to Yom Kippur, he was concerned that on Shabbos or Arab Shabbos, people wouldn't be, um, would be scared to violate Shabbat at the time. Um, and it would become, they would be become, uh, they would slack off on the job because of the holiness of the day. They would think that uh, we don't have to help out as much, but he felt like um, because of this concept of Bikroch Nefesh, saving lives, he was very lenient as far as it came to various foods that they gave them, and I don't know, he doesn't explain what that means. And also as far as violating Shabbat to help these people, um, he commanded that Shabbat shouldn't be different than a weekday when it comes to treating these people during the pandemic. Um, and he says, specifically, the Jews should violate Shabbat, and they shouldn't hire non-Jews to violate Shabbat. And he was very strong about his opinion. Okay. Well, again, as you see, it wasn't so pshita because there was um, pushback in the city, as we're going to see. There was a big argument in the city of Vilna at the time and how to deal with it. But specifically, he went, went ahead and did this. At this time, it doesn't seem like there was any pushback yet. But then he, he goes on to say, when it came to Yom Kippur time, um, so he writes here like this. So, so uh, it says, Hu Yamazer Takal. So when, um, as it got closer to Yom Kippur, and this is again in the year 1848, Huya Mazer he specifically warned the, the residents of the city, that they have to listen to the advice of the doctors, because this is also an obligation of the Torah, to listen to the advice of the doctors. He says he was so um, stringent about this, um, that until he gave out announcements, he says they went around the city pasting up posters in the city. Anyone been to Israel, Meisharim, you know how the posters work. They paste up posters on the world, wall with messages. Shekola, uh, at this point, this is I guess before Yom Kippur even, he says that the, one of the things of cholera, it was, as we know, is digestive disease, was spread through water. So um, they prohibited, the doctor said no one should eat fish at the time. This is, again, not related to Yom Kippur specifically. No one should eat fish because fish seemingly was, uh, can take, I guess, from the water, from the contaminated water, what could spread the contagion of uh, cholera. So he said they hung up signs based on the commands of the 
of the doctors at the time that no one's allowed to eat fish and they posted up signs halachically speaking fish is like chazir fish is just like pig whoever eats fish is as if you're eating pork um, and he brings because as you know there was a custom on Shabbat to partake of fish specifically so the people that uh, said well we have to eat our fish on Shabbat so we, some people would come to him with questions about this various custom healthy people not people like cholera and he would say if you're going to eat fish, you might as well just have pork on Shabbat. Serve pork at your Shabbat meal. It's just the same. So that's, uh, he brings, starts with that story. Then he says, because again, the doctor said that fish, since it's in the contaminated water, uh, again, collar was spread through contaminated water, through the water supply. <laughs> well, now it's permitted to eat fish, kosher fish. Yes, we're not, we're not prohibiting fish. I'm saying specifically at that time the doctors said that cholera could be contagious through, through eating a fish. <laughs> he doesn't explain the medical aspects here, I'm assuming, because again, it was a water-based um, disease. Um, so, bottom line is, so by, so by the way, and he's saying in the strictness, just it's important to note, it's actually last week's Torah portion, um, of in Parshat Achremot, um, which is what we read, uh, we didn't read it, but maybe you read it at home. In, in last week's Torah portion, Achremot, in Leviticus, there's two things there. First of all, it adds, happens to be the mitzvah of Yom Kippur, is in that Parsha. talks about uh, the concept of not eating on Yom Kippur, um, as at least we extrapolate from not eating on Yom Kippur. <laughs> yes. And, and also the famous uh, line, which is V'chai Bahem, Torah tells, tells you there again, also of course not in context, the Torah in the midst of prior to discussing prohibition of uh, sexual immorality says, there's a verse there that says like this, carry out my laws, um, read it to the Hebrew, it's you shall carry out my laws, and you shall safeguard my decrees, to follow them, I am your God, and then the next verse says, You shall observe my decrees, and my, again, my laws, which you shall carry out, that uh, man shall carry out, and you shall live by them, I am Hashem. So again, this is, um, according to the Gemara and Yuma, this is the key source, there's at least eight different sources of how we know one may violate any mitzvah in the Torah, except the big three, in order, if, if a mitzvah, if some sort of commandment is endangering your life, um, any one of the Torah commandments is endangering your life, you can violate it, and this is the key source that's brought in, in Maimonides and, and other halachic codifications, which is, Torah says you shall live by the mitzvot. So again, it's obviously in context it just means you shall live uh, your life by the commandments. But the, the understanding is much broader uh, with major medical ramifications is that any mitzvah which will somehow endanger your life and will not allow you to live, so that mitzvah can be violated. Okay? And not only that, this is, according to most, a mitzvah unto itself. The Chaybahem, this is one of the 613 commandments, which is telling you that when a mitzvah endangers your life, you now have a mitzvah, the commandment is to violate the mitzvah. It's prohibited to observe that mitzvah. Okay, so, so this always is a dichotomy, um, when, especially when it comes to halacha, and even today, I've seen it quoted um, in many responses by rabbis in, during this pandemic, that it's always a question 
you know, are you, let's say, when it comes to Shabbat versus uh, danger to life, where there's a risk to one's life. So the question becomes, are you machmir, which means are we stringent on Shabbat, or, and lenient, or, or, or maybe call being lenient on Shabbat because there's a danger to life, or on the other hand, no, we're not being lenient on Shabbat, we're being strict in this law of the Chaybah. So the Chaybah, since the Chaybah is also one of the 613 commandments, we, as Jews, for some reason, many Jews don't like being lenient, as we see, we're stubborn people. We don't like by being lenient on any mitzvah. Um, but on the contrary, this we're not being lenient on Shabbat or let's say eating non-kosher, whatever the case is when it comes to danger to life. We're being strict on this mitzvah of the chayban, of, of uh, that the Torah is commanding us here, Hashem is telling us, don't let a mitzvah endanger your life. So you have to be as strict as possible. So if there's any minute danger involved, we're going to be as lenient as, as lenient as possible. So it's not that we're being lenient in the, in the mitzvot, on the contrary, we're being strict. This is quoted by many rabbis, um, so it's important to understand, so that's the connection to at least last week's parasha. And this is, as we're going to see, ba- uh, the basis for many of the leniencies. So just to continue the story here, so Rabbi Salanta himself um, says, so as Yom Kippur was approaching, there was no official word from the rabbis of the city. And again, we were talking about Vilna here in 18, 1848. It was a pretty big Jewish city. There was hundreds of synagogues, hundreds of rabbis. As we know, Vilna, Vilna was a bastion for Torah-observant Jewry at the time. Um, it, it was a city of scholars. Um, we're talking about many great people who lived there, uh, probably uh, yeshivas, you know, probably 40 or 50 yeshivas there with Rosh Yeshivas, big rabbis, many Dayanim, halachic decisors, and no one was talking about the upcoming holiday of Yom Kippur, should people be fasting or not. Um, now, so it says, again, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was not officially, he was a rabbi, technically, but he wasn't, he didn't have a position, he wasn't a halachic decisor, um, and he never, he was very humble, again, never coming out strongly, opinionated about something, but that was one of his character traits that he was working on. So as Yom Kippur was approaching, he said that no one was uh, talking about it. So it says he, let me find the right place here, it says, um, the, the uh, high holidays were approaching, and the pandemic was still coming along very strong. The numbers were not going down. There was Many signs of the pandemic were still apparent in the populace. Which caused weakness of the body, which eventually um, would then cause the illness to take effect. The rabbinate of Vilna did not come out with any proclamations to decide uh, publicly whether one um, to permit one eating on Yom Kippur. So he says what happened was, Az come Rabbi Yisrael, so Rabbi Yisrael Salantu got up, and he changed his character from being humble and, uh, and private to a private person, to a, a haughty and strong personality, a very strong-willed person. And he went out on his own to announce, and he decided on his own, so his opinion was at this time fasting was prohibited and is a sin, um, a, 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 a serious sin, a very chamura. Fascinatingly enough, history doesn't change; history repeats itself. 
Um, today, as we know, one of the things we discussed in the past is in the news, there are many anti-Semites blaming um, the pandemic on Jews, whether it's the Mossad or Jewish doctors or um, Fauci is secretly Jewish and uh, different things like that, Trump's uh, Jewish Orthodox son-in-law. Um, whatever, whatever you're blaming it on, there's a lot of uh, um, websites out there that are, of course, um, using anti-Semitism, and specifically because you have some, again, hard-headed um, Jewish-looking people who are going, vibed and making funerals and things like that, stupidly. Um, of course, it's a minority, but you do have stupid people, um, and of course, it makes the news. That's what happened last week in New York with Mayor de Blasio. Um, so it becomes, it, the, the issue gets overblown, maybe rightfully so, but that's what we call causes a chil Hashem. And the causes the Gentiles say, oh, look at the Jews. They're blatantly violating the, the social distancing laws, whatever it is, and they're causing the pandemic to get worse in our city. So, so too, at that time, one of it says here explicitly in this book that Rabbi Yisrael Salanta's concerns was that if people fast on Yom Kippur, if the Jews fast, which, might, which will cause a worsening of, of the pandemic, we're also concerned about the perception of the non-Jews seeing that as a, as a shalom, he says shalom ragaim, that the Gentiles shouldn't say because of the Jewish religion and their faith they're bringing upon us this pandemic. So the same again very clearly, 1848 2020, nothing changes. So he says what happened was Erev Yom Kippurim he goes on to say, Tafrish test, the year 1848, on Erev Yom Kippur, they went around again with the city, sticking signs up on all the walls, the walls of all the synagogues, should be here, in the city of Vilna, signs were said, do not, it is prohibited to fast, on this Yom Kippur, on this great holy day, also to shorten the prayer services, um, this is a good plus, which I think this year we need to work on. It says they have no piyutim. That means no, um, none of the extra stuff that uh, usually said on Yom Kippur. You just have the regular prayers and without adding anything in um, extra for Yom Kippur. Lelechet l'tayel b'chutzas year in order to give the opportunity for people, um, for the people in the city to go out into the fresh air, not to be stuck in the shul. And to go out into the fresh air, um, which seems they believed was healthy for the for the pandemic, maybe it was social distancing, and everyone should have time also on Yom Kippur to help their friends. One second, Ed, let me finish this sentence. Um, to help their friends um, who need the strength and, and whatever they need to help them out. So, so therefore to shorten the prayer service and it's prohibited for everyone to fast this Yom Kippur. Ed, go ahead. You unmute yourself, Ed. You're muted. Okay, go ahead. Oh, oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay, so uh, so he says like this. He goes on to say. So he goes on to say, just to finish the story, because of the concern that the community would not um, pay attention to him, because of their fear, so to speak, of this holy day. So it says, what happened was Allah Abama Allah. Bama al Bima, the Beit Knesset, on Yom Kippur itself. It seems like it was the night time. I'm assuming he, he went. He got up in the shul because he realized the Jews are not just going to pay attention to some sign hanging on the wall that says you shouldn't fast. So it says he got up on the Bima in the shul that night. Okay. Sorry. So he says no. It was during the day. During. Um, 
at the end of Shachrus, the end of the morning prayer, on Yom Kippur, it says, Hotziyayin Vugos, he took out wine and cake, some good cake, Kiddush, and he made Kiddush in the, sh- in the shul, on Yom Kippur, Vachalein Kalakal, and he ate in front of the whole congregation. He says, Akal Nifchad Miod, the people in the congregation were like shocked. Lohemin Lamarenov, they couldn't believe what their eyes were seeing. Echad Menichab de Besakneses, one of the honorable of the, of the shul, and there were those that screamed out um, started protesting when he did this don't we have rabbis in the city you have to realize by the way in those days um, it wasn't like today where shul had, every shul had a rabbi um, you had many what's called shtiblach there were many shuls in Vilna hundreds, like we're saying thousands upon thousands of Jews so there were many um, not every shul had a rabbi like we have today so the shul you know you had the uh, you, you went to shul, you davened. It was a chazan. Um, there was usually one main shul in the city. That, that's where maybe there was a rabbi that didn't necessarily daven there. He came in just to speak. So it wasn't like today. So he says, so people started screaming out when he made Kiddush on the bima, on Yom Kippur. Don't we have rabbis in the city and dayanim? They know the laws of, of danger to life. They're, they're not permitting us to break our fast. So who are you, you know, this young 37-year-old um, whippersnapper to get up in the shul and make Kiddush? The Yesh Misaprim, he says, and there are others say, a version of the story, he goes on to say, Ashachrav, after Rabbi Yisrael Salanter got down off the bima, Allah the bima, Zakan Adiyam, the elder of the, of the judges in the city, Shebevilna, Rabbi Tzalakohen, who's a famous uh, um, rabbi, uh, who actually in the back of the Vilna Shas has all his, his commentary. So he got up immediately after Bisrael Salanta left the Bima according to this version. Um, and he protested in the name of all the judges of the Betin of Vilna. As far as this uh, blanket, carte blanche uh, permission given, without the instruction of a doctor. So meaning, they weren't arguing that of course if there's a danger to your life, the, this rabbi who got up after Bisrael Salanta in the shul, so you can imagine this, you have it, he thinks, you know, today some rabbis have it bad. The rabbi gets up and t- gives a sermon, and then an, another rabbi gets up after him and, and publicly disagrees with him. So us rabbis today don't have it as bad as we think we have. But, uh, but what happened here was, so of course the, the second rabbi wasn't disagreeing with the concept of Bikuch Nefesh, as we said, that's a verse in the Torah. There's danger to life, of course you have to break your fast. What they're saying was, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was giving this carte blanche uh, permission across the board for anyone. Everyone has to break their fast, including healthy people, and you don't have to consult a doctor. What the other rabbis were saying here um, is they were, say, they were arguing and they got up and said, no, if, you, if you're not feeling well, of course you have to just consult your doctor, and of course you need to break your fast. The doctor says you need to break your fast. They weren't disagreeing on that point, but again, you can't do it without an individual consultation of a doctor. That's what they were arguing about. He says here, You need to speak to your individual consultation of a doctor to decide in your case whether you have permission to break your fast. He says, himself stood vehemently in his position, and he didn't leave the shul uh, until every congregant got up, he forced every congregant to get up on the, and go into this room and, uh, and eat. Um, and then after he finished in this shul, it says he went around to every other shul in Vilna 
um, making getting up on the beam and making the same announcement to everyone who has to break their fast and uh, etc. He brought food to the shuls. Um, so that was that was this big fight. Obviously, it says after that there was a there was many. The whole city was an uproar for the next couple of months, um, obviously because of this, and the people were very upset. He was, according to one version, he was even called in, he was summoned, he was subpoenaed to the Betin, um, and the rabbis of the Betin claimed, like, what right did you have to do this? We are the rabbis of the city, we make the Psach and we disagree with you, you had no right to do what you did. So there was, a, they called him, and he argued it out with them. There's a lot of different versions of the story, some say afterwards, he also his whole personality changed after this and he wanted to prove his uh, his greatness so he announced that he's giving a shear for the whole city and uh, just to prove his his uh, his scholarship he gave a shear not on this topic they thought it was given he gave on a totally different topic um, a lot of different versions of the story but the bottom line is um, so again well exactly what's going on here so the first thing is again before we get to the halachic aspects and who is correct and the, and the understanding of the rationale of both sides of the story, just to understand. So I, I, uh, there's a historian uh, who's a professor in Queens College. His name is Schneer Lyman. I don't know if that's the name he goes by. He happens to be, he's, he's a Jewish historian, and uh, he's a professor of Jewish history in Queens College in New York City. Um, he happens to be the father-in-law of a rabbi in town, Rabbi Masri, who's the rabbi of Beit Rambam. Um, happens to be his wife's father, so I've met him numerous times, and he has um, amazing stuff. He he would give a weekly class, um, besides what he taught in Queens College, on Jewish history. And he happens to have a class that he gave on this topic. Many, as you know, as Ron can, can attest to, many things, stories that we have in Jewish history are not necessarily always as they seem on the surface. So he has a class, and I, uh, last night, when I realized I'm going to talk about this topic, I tried to get a hold of it. I used to have it on cassette tape. I couldn't find it in my cassette collection, um, and I don't have a cassette player anymore. So, uh, so it wouldn't have helped me even if I did find it. But, um, but uh, I called uh, someone I know who's a student of his. He said that he showed, he gave me, sent me to a website that I have 18 of his classes online, but it wasn't there. This class about this story of Israel Salant, it was not there. Anyway, I ended up calling his son-in-law. He got it from the father-in-law, from his father-in-law. He sent me a, a recording. Uh, of the class. For some reason it was in 12 segments. So I had to keep on clicking on different segments. Anyway, the long story short, he, he it's a fascinating class where he goes through all the various sources, sources written sources about the story. Um, and more or less, many sources, as we'll see, he's of the opinion that it didn't happen. Um, the story happened to some extent. There was clearly a story that happened. But Rabbi Salanta himself never made Kiddush. He never uh, got up and ate in the shul, um, as we'll see. So I'm just going to read you some of his sources, and I'll tell you. Uh, so, th so this story is brought in numerous places. And this is based on uh, uh, Dr. Lyman's presentation about the story. So he, he quotes here, number one, there's a, there is a another glorified account in, his, in a book called Makar Baruch, which is lit, written by Baruch HaLevi Epstein, who was the writer of the Torah Tumima, a famous rabbi in Europe. Um, and he describes in vivid detail, again, this similarly, that Rabbi Yisrael Salanta made Kiddush um, prior to eating. Now there's a problem with that in general, by the way, halachically speaking, because mo we rule, if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, there's a question. Let's say a doctor says someone has to break their fast on Yom Kippur. Um, so the question becomes, do you make Kiddush or not? 
on Yom Kippur or not. So we rule actually that you don't make Kiddush um, on Yom Kippur. There is one opinion in the Shulchan Aruch who brings a, who's quoted Rabbi Kivager who does hold you make Kiddush. But most opinions say if you're going to eat on Yom Kippur you don't make Kiddush. As a matter of fact, it's more problematic if you make Kiddush on Yom Kippur because um, because as we discussed many times, when you do eat on Yom Kippur, there's a way to minimize the violation of eating. You're supposed to eat what's called less than pachot, pachot mikashir, as we discussed many times. Whenever you violate a Torah law, if it's possible to minimize the violation, we try to do that, even in the case of Bikoth Nefesh, where um, if you do that, it won't, it won't in, any, in any way endanger your life. So in the case of Yom Kippur, the Shulchan Aruch says, when eating, uh, let's, say, let's say, for example, someone's a diabetic, so they have to break their fast on Yom Kippur, but it doesn't mean they have to sit down to a filet mignon dinner or lunch on Yom Kippur. Um, so in other words, we allow them to break their fast, but let's say someone's a diabetic, mm-hmm. so we give them, uh, you know, one of those uh, terrible crackers called, tastes like cardboard. Um, yeah, something like that. So you give them, you know, they have a little cracker, they break it up into a shot glass, less than a shot glass. That too. Yeah. That's that, that works too. But the point being is, so you, you eat something very little. Let's say uh, my mom is a diabetic. I know what she does. She just takes these little, uh, what's those crackers? The, the saltines. Saltines. Okay? Without the salt, because I have high blood pressure. So saltines without the salt. So it's pretty bad. One second, one second, Ed. You have some dead? Yeah? Go ahead. That was a different rabbi, maybe. Um, that was the big. That was your Beth Israel class, Ed. You're mixing up your your congregations. You, that's the problem when you remember in so many places. That's the problem when you remember in so many places. <laughs> no, but but there is a yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, again, well, let me make it clear. There's two things. I thought, Ron, I thought you were going to say Hutra, Tuya, that way. But, uh, but the, yeah, so, so no, there is some, um, Ed, there is, well, wherever you heard that from, or maybe you heard it from me and you just didn't have enough coffee that morning. But, uh, um, but the, the point is like this, that there is some truth to what you're saying, meaning it's two things. One is, again, I want to make it very clear. If in any which way just having something bland like saltines or you need protein, then of course we're going to permit you to have whatever is going to, you know, you need. The doctor says you have to have filet mignon, or like I always say, the doctor says you have to have a double bacon and cheese from Whataburger with jalapenos and, uh, and bacon bits, um, then you're going to, ha- you have to have that. That's what the doctor tells you to have. We're talking about, uh, let's say, a, cl- a plain case of diabetic who just needs to have some carbs uh, throughout the day. So in that situation, in a situation like that, we're saying, you know, it's, then you only need to have what we call as the minimum as possible um, and and don't go ahead and have a big party okay so but of course if if the doctor says you need to have pro someone faints in shul they need to have protein or whatever the case is where the doctor saying they need to have filet mignon let me know if you know of that doctor um, I want to get in touch with him so so uh, so then of course you're allowed to do it so you, you are correct in that 
depending on the illness, depending on what the doctor says you need to do. So there is a, there is some truth. I don't want to bash any other rabbis here. Okay. Gruggers, yeah. So again, depending on the case, you're only obligated to do that if, if in no way it will affect the, if the, the you, uh, your, your, your issue, whatever your medical issue is. Um, of course, if there's in any chance that it might affect it by delaying it or by eating like that, then of course you don't. Okay, so if someone's going to the diabetic shock, we're going to give them whatever we need, you know, we don't sit there trying to measure. So, so again, so, so that's the, so again, uh, and why it needs to be clear because this is important, depending on the situation, but again, if the doctor says all you have to eat is, let's say in the case of diabetic, a normal case of diabetes where you just have to have some carbs throughout the day, that's all you need, so then that's all you're allowed to have. That's all you should have because, again, you're minimizing it, you're downgrading prohibition from a uh, biblical violation of karate to a rabbinical violation, which anytime, as, as Ed, you pointed out, kezayit, it's actually not kezayit, it's grogerous, it's the size of a fat date, okay? If you could remember any of those from your younger years. Yeah. Shelly was. Didn't get my joke. Only Ron got my joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get to that. So that's, yeah, so that's getting into the nitty gritty of the halacha, which we'll get to. So it's a valid point, Shelly, yes. Um, but, so this is a totally different type of leniency, it would seem like. He's saying, well, well again, historically, we need to find, first looking at it from the historic perspective, and then, uh, and then we'll get to the halakhic part. Probably not today. So, okay, so again, I'm going back here. So, the, so again, so therefore, in essence, what I'm saying is to make Kiddush is problematic halakhically, I just want to point out as a side point here in the story, because once you're making Kiddush, there's, a, there's also a lachic concept, which is important to know about it. Kiddush b'makom suda. That means when you make Kiddush, Kiddush is only valid if you're having a meal. If you just make Kiddush and I have, you know, let's, like, let's say like Ed said, uh, less than an olive's worth of eating, you, your Kiddush is not valid. Your Kiddush has to be in a place where you're going to actually eat carbs, believe it or not. It has to have a grain food, either cake or bread, um, and enough for what's called a suda. Okay, so, so which is a kebeya, the size of a the volume of an egg. The bottom line is, so to say that Rabbi Yisrael Salat stood up in the shul and said, make Kiddush, which would mean they would have to eat more than the requisite amount of violation of Yom Kippur, is, is strange in itself. The facts of the story are strange. Um, the account, by the way, as he goes on to say, is also quoted, I'm just reading from my notes from the class, I'm listening to this MP3 from Dr. Lyman. He says, the account is also quoted in the biography of the Chavetz Chaim, which was written originally in Yiddish by someone named Rabbi Moses M. Yosher, one that was related to Dr. Yosher in town. Um, and it was translated uh, and published, actually translated and published by Art School in 1984. And it quotes from David Leibowitz, who was a great nephew of the Chafetz Chaim, who claims he was told the story by the Chafetz Chaim himself. 
that uh, Rabbi Salanter, by the way, the Chafetz Chaim's father died in 1884, two weeks after this cholera epidemic. So he died of the cholera epidemic. Um, but the Chafetz Chaim told the story to his great nephew, again, this is quoted in the biography of the Chafetz Chaim, um, that uh, he got up in Yom Kippur and made Kiddush, etc., seemingly corroborating the fact that Rabbi Salanter actually did make Kiddush. Um, and, and he says there an interesting thing, which is relevant to us and to medical ethics. He says, Chavetz Chaim stated that it was based on consultation with physicians prior to Yom Kippur. Because again, just to address this, because it, it, on the surface, at least in this original quote that we were saying from Tanuotah Musar, would seem to imply that the, their complaint was they weren't arguing on the topic of breaking one's fast, one's sick. They're saying is, you have to consult a doctor. Which is, by the way, that's a halach in Shulchan Aruch. In Shulchan Aruch, if you look, the first in the chapter dealing with an ill person, a patient on Yom Kippur, the Shulchan Aruch starts off immediately saying, an ill, a patient who needs to eat on Yom Kippur, if there is an expert doctor, the famous Baki doctor, even a non-Jew, we even listen sometimes to medical advice from non-Jews, rarely, um, that the that the doctor, the physician states, Imlo yachilo, so if you don't feed this patient, his illness might get might worsen, be stacking and become dangerous. Okay? You feed the patient based on the advice of the doctor. The doctor doesn't have to say he might die, even it's enough to say that his illness will get worse, that's a sufficient to break his fast. So the Shokanach is very explicit that there's, it has to be done, the breaking of the fast has to be done with the consultation of medical advice. A guy can't, you know, you can't just get up and say, everyone can break their fast. It needs to be done within consultation for this specific patient, it would seem to imply. So, one second, shall I, let me just finish this point here. So he's quoting here, the Chafetz Chaim stated that Rabbi Saul Salanter's um, opinion and advice to break, that everyone should break their fast, Shelley's calling it a public health statement, was based on consultation with physicians prior to Yom Kippur about the dangers of fasting. Okay? So, so he clearly, meaning he was addressing this issue. The Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law, is explicit that one you have to consult with doctors. And that was the Betin's uh, problem with what he was saying. But he, uh, the, in quoting the Chavetz Chaim here, he's saying very clearly that Rabbi did consult with physicians prior to Yom Kippur, and with the advice of physicians, decided to make this ruling. Yeah, Shelley, what were you going to say? No, well, it's clear that was his intention. The question was, first of all, again, we'll see if it happened or not, but the question was, you can't just throw the Shulchan Aruch, and even Yisrael Salanter, if the Shulchan Aruch states you need to consult, it has to be, in each patient needs to, a physician has to rule for him that he is permitted to eat. So how did he go against the Shulchan Aruch? That's the question. Ah, well, it's not an assumption. So the Chavetz Chaim saying, um, at least in telling over the story to his nephew, uh, to his great nephew, um, said, told him that the, that Ruby Salanta did get medical advice. That could be. We don't know. Well, we don't know what the medical advice exactly what the medical advice was. Again, that's a presumption. Well, well, clearly the Bet and the Vilna did not agree with him. They didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. So, so I don't know if we could give him the benefit of that if the Bet and the Vilna did. 
So that's the question. Exactly what the argument was between these two opinions, that's what I want to get to. But you're, but you're not allowing me to get to. One second. No, it's not rabbis and doctors. It's rabbis and rabbis disagreeing. I did, many times. Yeah. I don't know. Good question. So we don't know. We don't, we'll see. So that's another count. Now, again, the question is, as we're going to see later and even a response I'm written today, and this is uh, something which is important to understand, just from historical stories, you know, we don't usually uh, paskin a halach. So it's a very nice story that occurred, but do we paskin based on a story? Um, and the question becomes, is this, what are the historical facts? Is this a legend or is it, um, or is it fact that this really happened? So there's another two books that uh, Dr. Lyman quoted, another two sources. He quoted many sources. One is, there's a book called, in Yiddish, and how he finds this stuff is amazing, but he, it's a book in, that was published in New York in 1927 in Yiddish. It's called Gedolim von Unzeret Zeiten. Literally translated, loosely translated as the greats, the Torah greats of our times. Okay, and it, uh, and it has biographies of of various um, rabbis, and one of them is of Rabbi Yisrael Salant. Um, the author's name is Yaakov Mark, um, and he clearly presents a very different account of the story. And he's actually quoting an eyewitness. I'll read, I'll read you what I wrote down again, I don't know verbatim, but wrote down from the, from the recording of that line. He says like this, he writes um, that he had a conversation with an eyewitness who was in the shul in Vilna in 1848 when it occurred. Yeah, this is being published in 1927. Um, I don't know um, exactly when he spoke to this eyewitness. The guy had dementia or not. He says that Rabbi Swell Salanter got up after morning prayers. Again, this is from an eyewitness that this person who's publishing this book spoke to. Yaakov Mark spoke to. Yaakov Mark was not a rabbi, by the way. If that gives him more credence for you. He was not, not a rabbi. I don't know what he was, but he wasn't. Um, he writes in a conversation with an eyewitness who was in the shul in Vilna when it occurred. He says that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter got up after morning prayers and announced that there are tables of food set up in the side rooms of the shul. Anyone who is feeling ill, there is no need to be assessed by a doctor. They may go and eat in the side room. Okay? Although they should be careful to eat less than the requisite amount in order not to violate the Torah prohibition of Yom Kippur. Okay? So according to this version, so let me just finish. He goes on to say, immediately after Rabbi Salanta slept down, stepped down from the bima, leading rabbi, leading rabbi in Vilna, Rabbi Tzal HaKohen, got up and announced in protest in the name of the Betan of Vilna that the permission to eat was only for those who the doctor ruled they need, that they need to break their fast. Rabbi Salanta himself never broke his fast. Okay, so now according to this, a few very important historical notes in this version, again, which was stated by an eyewitness in this book. Uh, or at least retold, retold by an eyewitness. According to this version, in the Gedolim von Unzer Zeitin, um, the account is very different. He says, first of all, there was no, he didn't get up and make Kiddush. That whole thing is not true, according to this version. He never made Kiddush. He himself never ate. He was machmer on himself. He never ate. And he didn't even permit for everyone to break their fast. He specifically got up, according to this version, and, and said, anyone who's feeling ill, you don't need to be assessed by a doctor. You can go in and break your fast in the side room in the, in the shul. There's crackers and, and cake. And you should do it in the prescribed way of the Shulchan Aruch 
which is pachas pachas mikashir. Should only have the shot glass amount. Okay, so it's very clear, a totally uh, different account. First of all, again, um, he's not permitting even the healthy people to break, everyone to break their fast. He's saying only if you feel ill. And he's only, and he's only, uh, and only allowing them to eat in the requisite, less than the requisite amount. And he himself did not break his fast at all. He didn't make Kiddush, didn't break his fast, according to this version. It's a very different version um, than, than stated in the other sources. Yeah. So they did prior mean prior to eighteen forty eight. Yeah, so we discussed in our first class in coronavirus back in March 5th, 10th or something. Um, we discussed, this was before it was even popular to be talking about coronavirus. We were on the cutting edge. We started talking about it before Trump even mentioned it. Um, so uh, so we, we discussed then, and I brought you many sources that clearly discussed pandemics. I didn't see anyone specifically in the context of Yom Kippur, but we'll get we'll get to that. There are clearly as many sources of how to act um, in time of pandemic, and we'll get to that in Harlochik. Um, yes, it has. Yes, it has come up, and we'll get to it, God willing, next week. But here again, I'm just showing you that there's clearly different accounts of this historical story, exactly what occurred and what he allowed and what he didn't allow. Ed, what were you saying? Yeah, go ahead, Ed. Ooh, I love those. Uh, I'm not sure what all those fancy words mean, but it sounds... And since, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. This is what Shelley was pointing out. Is there a difference between a, a, a ruling for general public health, which I think is something we're debating in, in this country in contemporary times, uh, meaning is there, is there a difference in how we shall, what we allow for the general public health or for individuals? And, and sometimes we might be more lenient when it comes to general public health, is what I'm assuming you're implying, what Shelley's been pointing out also. Yeah. Sorry. Um, well, the expense here would be spiritual expense, you say. Which way are you going? Being lenient or strict, or either way. Thing to do is, yeah. Yes.
Yes, so that's, that's a beautiful way of putting it. So you're saying, so just to make sure I understand you correctly, because um, what, what I understand you're saying is that the argument between Rabbi Yisrael Salanter and the Betin was, is this a public health issue, community health issue? Should we rule here in a communitarian way, which is the best for the community at large, as opposed to specific individuals, or should we rule for individuals? And that was their argument. They both agreed that there are people who need to break their fast. The question is, should that be, should we then permit it for all of society, because that would help the community in a more general way? Is that, is that am I understanding you correct? Okay, Shelly, one second. Manny, Shelly was first, then you go. Right, but that's what Ed is. I just I know you're into the economic aspect because you, but and we're gonna get there at some point. That's my next class after we finish this one. Is my next class I want to do that. But Ed is talking about even not from the economic standpoint, even from the medical viewpoint. It's a question of how of individual practice of medicine versus um, general, general as you call it, public health issues, which I think is something we're struggling with today too. Leaving the economics out of it, economics is a different question um, of of sacrificing individuals for the greater sake of the economy or whatever that is, which we'll get to, God willing, um, sooner soon. Um, Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to discuss about it. I haven't finished my research, and, and it's a very complicated question. That's why I am keep on pushing it off. Um, but we're going to get, yeah, yes. So we'll get there. It's, a, it's an important question, but, but I'm saying here we're addressing it just from the public health versus individual. Manny, what were you going to say? Right, but that's a, that was Ron's question. Maybe we don't, for all we know, the Bethin might have gone and got medical advice too. It might have been conflicting medical advice, or they, as as Ed was saying, didn't deem this as a public health threat in the same level as Rabbi Salanta did. Or in this, yes, yeah. But I'm saying the Bethin was also rabbis. That's the issue. Yeah. So 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 I just want to finish the historical issue here because we're going to run out of time. We have two minutes left, Shelley, and then you can talk. So, so, so again, so according to this version from this eyewitness, it was clear that Rishosalata did not make Kiddush and he himself did not eat and he only allowed people to eat according to the guidelines of the Shulchan Aruch, which is, so the, which is Pachas uh, Pachas Mekashir um, with minimizing the, the amount. The only leniency very clearly, and see which he disagreed with the Betin about was the question of, of the of um, do you have to consult an individual doctor or not, which is this issue that Ed has mentioned. So now there's another, just one other accurate account, or what well, probably one can argue according to Dr. Lyman, the most accurate account was actually written by Rabbi Salanter's son himself. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak Lipkin. By the way, he had uh, Rabbi Salanter had a younger son. His youngest son, his name was Yamtiv Lipkin who was a math professor and an inventor. I was reading about him. He invented, actually, fascinating invention. He, he left the... didn't seem like he was so religious. 
but he was an inventor who invented some type of amazing invention at the time. Um, you could look it up, but it's fascinating. What? Ventilator? No. No, no. I don't think so. Um, so anyway, where was, where was I? Let me get back to my notes here. Uh, so it says like this. So uh, Yitzhak Lipkin, who, um, he, had a, he wrote a diary. Um, it was, the, and in that diary has some of the unpublished writings. So there's a book, sorry. There's a book of the unpublished writings of Yisrael Salanter. Um, it was, I, I don't know if it was, when, when it was published. Somehow Rabbi Dr. Lyman has a copy of his book. The name of the book is Kadosh Yisrael. It's in Hebrew. And he, in there it has a printing, a copy of the diary of the son of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, whose name was Rabbi Yitzchak Lipkin. Okay, and again, this is, um, i never seen this. I'm just quoting Dr. Lyman in his, in his lecture. And he says like this, he writes that the year, again, this is paraphrasing it, at the year of the cholera epidemic, my father ruled immediately prior to Yom Kippur, permitting the eating for those who felt ill of only less than the requisite amount. And he got up in shul and announced this proclamation, saying we also have to be concerned about the desecration of God's name from the Gentiles, as we mentioned before, if they say that because of the Jews' observance of their fast, the epidemic was spread. Okay, so, so basically it's a clear corroboration of the previously mentioned account of the eyewitness um, that he only permitted to eat less than the requisite amount and no mention of him himself making Kiddush or breaking his fast. Okay, so, it's, so again you have these, according to Dr. Lyman, his theory is that clearly, historically, these are the correct, um, based on this one eyewitness account, which is corroborated by the diary of, of Rabbi Saul Salanter's son himself, stating that he did not, he never mentions he got up to make Kiddush and Shul, nothing of the sort. So the other ones seem to be glorified versions of the story, even though, again, some big sources there, as the Chafetz Chaim himself telling the story, but the Chafetz Chaim wasn't an eyewitness. His father maybe was, as we mentioned, but his father died two weeks after Yom Kippur in 1848. So I don't know if the Chafetz Chaim heard, heard the story from his father, where he heard it from. Um, and by the way, it was, uh, just to finish the historical part, Dr. Lyman talks about how his, he's putting together the pieces, and he seems to, he brings a fascinating story. That same year, around six months later, Bisrael Salanter left Vilna. So some say, some attribute his leaving Vilna because of the argument with the Betin, and they sort of kicked him out of town. Um, but the, he brings a, from a different book, um, which there's a story about a seminary that was started in Vilna by the government, by the, who was in power at the time, in Lithuania, Russia, at the time. Whoever it was, what? No, no, it, was, it, was, it wasn't. It was part of a Stalinist, I don't know exactly what. I was reading about it. Okay, before Stalin, who was, who was in Russia before Stalin? So it says that the, this is the history, you can look it up um, yourselves, because we're out of time, but basically there was a seminary starting by the, what's called the Maskilim, the enlightened uh, people in town in corroboration with the government to train rabbis, because they wanted rabbis who would more or less go ahead with their uh, view. Um, and, and they actually asked Rabbi Suel Salanter to be the head of this seminary. The government um, tried to appoint him as the head of the seminary, and uh, in, a, in a different historical book, which I don't have, I didn't write down the name of it, he writes there the whole story. This, is, um, this book is telling the account of this. And basically, Mr. Salanter said no to the post, 
Um, and that's why you have to leave town, because obviously if you don't do what the Tsar says, you're not going to really uh, make it. <laughs> and he had to move to Poland at the time. Um, he left and moved to a different place because he, he didn't accept the position the Tsar wanted. But the long story short, he, he says there's an account there that discusses that the people, first of all, in the seminary, clearly it was big scholars, but they would smoke on Shabbat. It says they would eat chazer, um, many things. It wasn't exactly the, the Haredi seminary. Um, and uh, and it says one of the things they discussed there how before Yom Kippur they went ahead and they forged signs in the name of the Betin of Vilna and they hung up signs in the city of Vilna this is again that year of 1848 hanging up signs in the name of the Betin of Vilna that's permitted to break your fast okay so this he's just telling this as a backstory and you have to put it into context of the history of the time so clearly there was a lot going on in Vilna at the time and that also explains why the Betin of Vilna was so um, sensitive to Rabbi Salanta, and usually when there's an argument between rabbis, they don't take it, you know, it's not like you come out and you get up in the shul and contradict the rabbi, but it seems like there was a, previously there was a lot of stuff going on um, in the city, a lot of politics and, and arguments about what the Bezin said and didn't say what they permitted. So just interesting, again, putting everything into historical perspective.